anytime we enter into a different contract, we're always waiting for GFI, waiting to get the information. And so like the contracting took long enough to do. And now we're in another holding pattern because we don't have the data. And the only person losing is the warfighter. This is All Quiet on the Second Front, a podcast where boring conversations around defense tech and national security come to die. Join me, Tyler Sweat, and my Second Front comrades as we dismantle the mundane, cut through the bureaucratic BS to demystify the world of defense tech. But be warned, this is not a typical government podcast. Ready to get weird? This is a Soul Fire production. All right, what's up, everybody? This is your host, Tyler Sweat, here with another episode of All Quiet on the Second Front, the podcast where boring defense talk comes to die. Really excited today. We've got a little bit of a twofer. Really interesting company, some really interesting folks, and longtime fan of what they're working on here. So happy to welcome John and Matt from Beast Code. Thanks for spending a little bit of time with us today, guys. And I uh, want to start, I've had the benefit of knowing you guys personally and corporately for a while here. I want to open it, see if you can give a quick introduction, kind of who you guys are, who the company is, what you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for having us on. We've been excited about doing this and um, been excited about Second Front Systems for as long as we've known you guys. So this is super cool. Um, my name is Matt Zerman. I'm the CEO at Beast Code. Pretty much just a, a big old nerd. Software engineering background. Helped found the company in 2014. And we'll get into more about what the company does. But at a high level, it's a whole bunch of digital buzzwords. But before we do that, I'll, I'll let Wargo uh, introduce himself. Hi, I'm John Wargo. I'm the CTO and also one of the founders of Beast Code. Got a software engineering background. I really just like to do cool shit. Heck yeah, here for that. All right, so, you know, as we, as we talk about sort of where companies coming into the defense market or the broader government market, where they often struggle, right? It's understanding what do some of these large platforms look like? How would they interact with data or different applications or capabilities that exist in there to kind of get us into the, the sort of where does, where does Beast Code sort of fit a lot of this. Walk me through a little bit of how you guys have seen this problem manifest itself, where you'll see the government sort of making overtures to sort of that private community to come in to want to do, you know, and I'm air quoting innovation a little bit because I think some of it struggles to, to manifest. I mean, where have you seen those sort of ISVs struggling to, to either create the connectivity, the accessibility to actually be able to interrogate or experiment in a meaningful way? And then the follow-up there, or the layup question will be sort of then, you know, in that answer, sort of walk me through where Beast Code fits in a little bit. Yeah, I guess it's a little bit about Beast Code. We focus on the digital transformation piece, and it's really like aggregating data together and making it accessible to users. So like a high-level use case. Um, we work with the Navy quite a bit. So going to a shipyard and collecting the 3D CAD models they have, which are super bulky and hard to load with the products that are out there, all the different types of databases, spreadsheets, old-school technical documentation uh, that might be paper, might be a PDF that's not searchable, and then all the information that we get from the, the supplier base that's supporting that organization. And typically these are all spread across like 10 or 20 different systems that are out there. So if you're an engineer or some type of analyst that's just looking for a document or a piece of info, if you're going across all these different types of databases or 
IT systems and spending the, a good part of your day doing that. So what we do is bring that together into an interactive representation. Oftentimes it's a 3D representation of the ship or submarine or aircraft or facility, whatever it might be, where all the components are interactive. So I can click on a valve, close it and see what the downstream effects are. But I can click on that same component and I can access all of that data that I was just talking about. Uh, or maybe I don't have the 3D representation and I just want to have hyperlinks within my technical docs where I want to kind of Google search for something and get different types of results and bring it together quickly. And it's being used across the life cycle for these different weapon systems today. Everything from I'm doing design analysis and I want to play with this thing before you build it and understand how we can make it better to now I've got to train people on how to actually operate and maintain it to now I have to go do the, the real maintenance on the day to day. Um, but Bisco never had like a master plan of like, how do we go create this life cycle tool? It was really just sitting with the warfighter and, and iterating. First time you know, we went and talked to the, the U.S. Navy sailors, we had no idea how they operated. We didn't understand what type of data was out there, what type of problems they were encountering. It was just a matter of listening to them going back late at night and coding and coming back the next day and showing them, hey, would this be a solution to your problem? And doing that for years and years. And then when we originally started, like some of the problems were about like cloud, you know, things that you guys like work on, like how, how can you deploy these IT systems and can you even do anything innovative? Because where, how are you going to get it to the warfighter? Or, you know, I talked a lot about like 3D models years ago, that was considered like a video game. Um, but today, that's all like authoritative data. Everything's being built in CAD. So DODs come a long way, um, but there's still you know a journey ahead of us to be able to take all those different data sources and be able to get them into these modern type environments. Yeah, it's interesting. And I may be, I'd be curious to hear sort of as you went through that experience, right? And like really resonates with me that sort of iterative, you know, go in, sort of understand a problem, go home. I, you know, I used to always joke, like I go out into the parking lot with a few folks and we're huddled around a computer and you come back into the facility. Where did you guys, and what amazing is for you, where did you see comfort or maybe discomfort from the government in making some of that data something that, that folks could interact with or, or maybe have broader access to? Is that something that required, you know, not just a technical solution, but also at a more human layer, getting them able to trust the tool that, that you weren't going to compromise the security of, and I'm not a Navy guy, so I don't mean this, like the boat or the, the big ship, right? Or the weapons platform. How'd you sort of get them there in that both that technical and non-technical comfort layer? Yeah, no, I think you hit it on the head, right? Like it's one thing to build an engineering tool. But to actually change the culture around that tool is totally different. I think the two big places that we saw that one uh, is the security layer that you talked about, right? Like we built these di uh, digital twins that really just do data aggregation and human machine interface. And so we could pull together a whole bunch of different data sources. Um, our initial contract was doing like live fire test and evaluation. So we were able to pull in that data set and show it to you with like some of the damage control stuff, show it to you with the ADIS procedures or with the CAD data from the shipyards, EOS procedures, and put it all in one place. So it legitimately was like, hey, you could say, what if this thing happened right here? Oh, I've got all of the documentation to like make the decision. And the sailors loved that. But then that starts to get the security considerations where they're like, oh, hey, you know, at what point does this aggregate into something that is no longer unclassified? 
And the really funny thing is the government basically looked at us when we asked that question and they're like, what do you mean? And we're like, hey, I put all these things together. Like, at, at what point do you cross that threshold? And they're like, you put all those things together? We didn't think, we like, it never occurred to us that you could put those things together. <laughs> Which then, of course, just makes a lot of people really nervous because they're like, well, yep. now my boss is nervous and yep. there's no answer. This wasn't a definitive yes. This wasn't a definitive no. And so just trying to get them to take that more like, you know, utilitarian approach of like, hey, look at the pros and cons and let's think about this. Let's be smart about how we do that, right? Let's let's talk about the risks that you are concerned about. Let's talk about how to mitigate them so that if they say this is good, we can say not only is this good, but we're exceeding your baseline for unclassified data. And if they say, oh, this is bad and we're going to retroactively pull some of this back, then we can say, oh, well, it's a good thing we have all these extra controls in place already that will help you do that. And that's kind of how we started bridging the gap from just doing like native software development where you install it on one machine to start to looking at cloud solutions. Because then we can say the data only lives on one computer and people yeah. can access it from many, but it starts giving those more fine grained controls and you start baking in security a lot more. And that was coincidentally sort of at the beginning of the big DevSecOps movement that we're seeing that's kind of in full force today. It, uh, I mean, that layered approach of sort of giving them kind of tiers of comfort and the ability to have, you know, a little bit more control, even in sort of that digital layer of how they're looking at it, I think is, is absolutely something for the folks listening to remember, right? It's not just a, Hey, no, my product is secure. or I've adhered to It's understanding that there's also like a little bit of a human emotional layer around this, whether it's control or whether it's stability or whether it's, Hey, somebody you might not realize that government official in their eyes, is taking a huge risk by coming outside the norm and by bringing some technical sort of progress going forward. So that sort of empathy allows you to, to kind of meet them where they are, which is super interesting and leads me to my next question is, as you guys look, you know, and you see more sort of ISVs and more software providers who maybe aren't, you know, traditional sort of defense contractors, they're oriented just at, just at broader public sector. How do you sort of talk to them or give them advice on thinking through, you know, not just that customer, like we sort of alluded to there and kind of understanding them a little bit, but also I think maybe the Delta, and I'll try to say this politically correct, like the Delta between stated and actual realities at like a technical layer inside the department on, Hey, what data do we have? What's available? What's actually consumable that I can like API into versus to your point earlier, you know, going around and, you know, consolidating the manuals and the CAD documents and all this and bringing that in. How do you sort of give advice or what do you tell that, that ISV now looking at you guys being successful saying, all right, what do I do? How do I come prosecute the market? Yeah, I think it gets back to that human element of like just being transparent, like being able to have trust with the warfighter and the program offices that we're working with. Like allows us to be honest with each other. You don't have to come in with the sales pitch that says we can change the world. You know, we can do everything that you need. You can come in and say, you know, based on the information that we have and the things that we're going to be accessible to, we can do this one piece and we can make this one piece better. And then we can iterate from there. You know, we've never got a contract where they said, you know, go change everything. We're going to deploy the software and it's going to, you're going to replace all the IT systems, you know, within this facility and, and you're good to go. It's always, let's start here. 
and get that win. And, and actually building that trust is really important because there's so many people that come in with different solutions and it becomes unbelievable at some point, right? Because there's been a lot of failures. There's been a lot of software that's been promised that never actually came to fruition. So when you're going to the warfighter saying, I've got this great tool that is going to give you 3D representations of your platform that's going to help you do all these different jobs, they go, bullshit. I've heard this before. I've had this brief. But if you can get that initial win to them, they go, okay, all right, this is actually cool. I'm actually using this and keep building upon it for years and years and years. That like trust and authenticity and really sort of you know, I think we, we've talked about this over the years of our relationship, right? Like not expecting, you know, that government sort of buying center to make a huge, complicated technical decision with never having interacted with the software that you're asking them to buy, sort of understanding how to make those wins consumable and scalable. Orgo, yeah, I was going to say. So I'll hop in real quick and add to that. This kind of goes back to the first conversation that, uh, it's one thing to build a technical tool, and it's another thing to change the culture and the mindset around how that tool is used. And agile right now is a huge term in the technical community. And everyone talks about like, hey, how do we build software and be agile? And they're using it as a technical tool, which is definitely the first step. But a lot of what Matt's talking about, a lot of what you're talking about are more of that agile approach, but more on the customer relationship side where, hey, I'm not going to come in and waterfall sell you on the entire product. You know, a lot of business books talk about do one thing and do one thing well. So if I can come in and say, hey, this isn't going to solve all of your problems, but it's going to solve that one problem. That's a much easier pitch to buy in and that gets your foot in the door. And then while you're there, you can prove your aptitude at those other problems and iterate on it and build it up. And so a lot of it's just, hey, we're now using Agile as a culture and not just as a tool for building engineering products. And even the security conversation we had is the same kind of way. Yep. And if you're doing it right, then it comes back to exactly what you were saying. You're building that rapport with the customer. You're building trust because when you are Agile and the whole point is that you're going to continue to iteratively deliver, you can say that things aren't going great because I have another delivery next week and the week yep. after and the week sure. after. So it's okay if this week isn't great. And I've actually found sometimes that uh, you earn a lot of respect when you just come out there and say it. Yeah, I was just going to add that we have one account manager who says we sell trust. You know, we were given a, a few months ago, talking to a program office, a really tough problem that they're solving. And we said, I don't think we can solve that whole problem. I, and we don't know who could solve that problem, but we could certainly be a part of the solution. But just being upfront with you that we're not going to say, yeah, we are the solution to this. We're, we're going to tell you up front that like, we don't have the whole thing. We have a piece of it, not the whole thing. Yep. No, I love that. I mean, I love, you know, not just the transparency and the trust and sort of vulnerability, but I think, you know, as I reflect on sort of how Wergo framed that, that agile sort of relationship development, you're also creating, you know, that space and that sort of psychological safety around it to be able to experiment and try things and take a risk. But you're sort of containerizing like the blast radius of the risk so that if a quick sprint or a delivery or something you tried to stretch doesn't go right, there isn't this like programmatic degradation across the whole value chain. So it's actually promoting like a really interesting cultural change at a bunch of different levels in the organization. I love that. And that leads me into to sort of as you guys are you know, on your corporate journey, right? And you're changing the way the government thinks about its data and its ability to interact with large platforms and large volumes of data and sort of outside parties. What are you guys working on right now? Like what's got you guys excited 
How are you thinking about sort of the future of the capability and what lies ahead? I think Wario and I have the same answer. We just came out with uh, version six of our Bscore software and it's completely modular. Like, yeah. Before that, it was like one product where if you wanted to customize it or add your own integration, we would be forking the source code and having to add that capability. And that becomes like super unsustainable in the future. Um, there's a lot of products that we see where they've been customized for each individual organization. And over time, you just you can't maintain all those different builds. And then it becomes really hard to be able to push upgrades to it as well. So with the new paradigm, um, we can go to an organization, we can give them the out-of-the-box capabilities that probably solve you know, 85% of you know, what we're really good at. But then we can add in the different caveats. Or like the government could do that too. They could decide that they want a different organization to build those plugins, or maybe they want to build it themselves through like a software factory and they can decide that they want to maintain them. How are you seeing, you know, when you bring in sort of a cleaner delivery method for you guys sort of internally, B, you know, I think a, a way better sort of engagement sort of process for that government customer. Are you guys seeing sort of excitement around that? What's been the feedback so far? I think there's a lot of excitement. Um, the other okay. thing that we're really focused on is partnerships. So working with other large organizations who are going after all the, the big contracts, or maybe they have those contract vehicles already, but they don't have the technology piece. So we just got a strategic partnership with a company called Amentum. They have 44,000 oh, yeah. employees. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. So they're looking at it of, we can take this technology and it makes a differentiator within our different contracts. And so we're yeah. building these growth partners, but also teaming with other technology companies that can enrich our offering. So again, we're really good at the data visualization and aggregating stuff together, but there are other companies that are really good at different things. Um, one of them that we work with is Redshred, where they are able to take in different documents, they can OCR them to make them searchable, and they can apply AIML to pull out different pieces and parts of it. And then that feeds into our data aggregation and data visualization platform, which makes that easy. Also working with companies like Unity that are really big in like the rendering space or being able to have behaviors and creating twin creating types of training um, and being able to augment the things that we're doing. I love the I love the focus on, you know, not just channel from sort of a transactional standpoint, as much of a fan as of a channel partner as I am, but also from a from kind of a by, with, and through and really driving the community forward. Because what I heard you say, if I were to frame it a little bit different, is this is a great example of sort of a, a great sort of commercial technology that is able to go drive a lot of the traditional sort of defense industrial base forward by enabling sort of better delivery in some of these programs of record. And it's not a either or decision that 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 government sort of PM or PO needs to make, it's a way to sort of get that lift at that macro sort of programmatic level. And philosophically, that's a, that's a thing we'd probably want more sort of startups and early stage companies or new entrants into the market to be looking for. So, you know, how can we sort of work as, as a community or a tribe versus, you know, as a whole bunch of, you know, sort of rats competing for, for the one slice of cheese? So I ran out of a good example. Is that a fair sort of articulation to that? Yeah, no, I definitely think that's, um, that's definitely a big aspect to it. I think the, uh, the biggest barrier we see to working together, some of it's kind of, again, that vulnerability, that trust piece, right? 
everyone's always afraid of like, well, how do I monetize this? How do I not give my secrets sauce away? Which is fair. I mean, at the end of the day, businesses exist to make money and you can't totally give your business model up. But that's one of the really big things we're trying to do is we have all of these different data formats that you know, people who are trying to break into the market have to figure out and have to get their hands on. And if we can say, no, 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 here's the visualization layer, you either visualize data in a new way or you contribute something new into the ecosystem, it kind of breaks that problem up and it gives everyone a common language to speak. And then you don't have to do both the providing of the data and the visualization. You can say, hey, I'm a really good AI company and I have lots of really good data. I don't have graphic designers or UI UX people. I don't have a fantastically intuitive interface but I can push data into this ecosystem and there's already 20 different ways to visualize it that the customer can pick from. So I definitely think that's, that's a big piece of it as well. I think in the DoD space, the hardest part to actually realizing that vision, which is part of the reason we're partnering with big people, is just that it's so segmented. Like you don't know what the other players are doing. There was a little bit ago that we did a, a point cloud scan of a ship and it was like a huge pain in the ass, right? We had to... Uh, basically get a company that was going to come out with a Google backpack and get them approved to get on base and on pier and on ship to do the point cloud scan. And they only had so much time to do it. So the scans came back and they were really like not great quality. There were people standing in rooms. And uh, one of the things you have to do when you have this like tripod system basically is like you take a whole bunch of scans in different places and then you have to stitch together where they were. And it gets a lot harder to stitch them together when half the doors are closed and you don't know like what's on the other side of that door to line up the, uh, yep. the point cloud scans with. And it was just a huge pain in the ass. And the long and short of it is that we finished that up, had kind of a mediocre result because we had mediocre data that we were running with. And the end conclusion was, man, this would have been great if we had good data. And I was talking with someone six months later. They're like, hey, have you talked to this program office whose literal job it is to point cloud scan defense platforms? And I was like, no, no one told me they existed. Give me their contact. Then I hit them up and I was like, hey, we just did a point cloud scan of this ship. And it kind of came out not great because we didn't have great data. Do you guys happen to have that? They're like, oh, yeah, we get a half a million dollar budget every year to buy like top of the end hardware. And we're in-house DOD. So we basically get access wherever we want to go. Here's the really high fidelity scans that would have been great for you. I was like, well, this is fantastic. <laughs> so we can't fix that problem. And again, that comes back to the culture versus technical solutions. Yep. We have a piece of the technical puzzle. And I hope that we can drive the cultural solution by enabling it. But we're not really in that position to really drive drive the uh, the cultural piece all we can do yeah. is point out there are problems and offer solutions and yeah. help people make it the path of least resistance yeah i mean that's an interesting one that's a i think a fantastic exemplar of you know some of the challenges of working with like a large overly bureaucratic sort of industrial age organization is the right hand and the left hand more often than not are not talking which creates like all sorts of problems whether that's policy interpretation whether that's delegated authorities or, you know, local sort of exceptions, whether that's data discoverability or organizational sort of familiarity. But sort of as you guys are looking to the future, right, and sort of abstracting away some of that, maybe that complexity between programs or providers and the platforms and the data and sort of the art of the possible, and this is normally what I ask is sort of the, the last question. This is the modicum of structure in the, uh, in the podcast here. You know, as you think about if you were king for a day, you could sort of wave a wand and, uh, and have one thing change. And the change to stick, like it's a work, so you don't need to caveat. 
What's the thing you waved the wand and sort of change and why? And I'll give each of you a chance to answer because I'm curious to see sort of what each you think if you want to. Yeah, I think talking about data, anytime we enter into a different contract, we're always waiting for GFI, like waiting to get the information. And so like the yeah. contracting took long enough to do. And now we're in a, another holding pattern because we don't have the data to get started. So you win, you win the contract and then you're waiting for months on end just for the data to even show up so you can start the work after going through a multi-month, potentially multi-year sort of procurement process. Exactly. And the only person like losing is the warfighter at that point. Absolutely. You know, waiting for these capabilities just because we had to do all the paperwork and now we have to wait to get that information. So, I mean, if I was king for the day, I would just make that go faster. You know, I understand there's, you know, a process to get the data, but there never seems to be the right point of contact or the right subject matter expert that can point you in the right direction and give you access to that. You know, and it could even just be access where, hey, we're going to give you access to the portal and you guys can pull it down. Ideally, it would be somewhere where we easily do that. But yeah, that, that's always seems to be a, a blocker. And that ends up really delaying getting the capability to the warfighter. That's a great answer. Wargo, what do you got, brother? Yeah, so trying to figure out how to frame this. Um, this is a safe space. Frame it however you want. <laughs> this is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> that's why I was like, come on. <laughs> Um, no, I, I think it's, it's a very similar line to Z, but I think the biggest thing that would have impact is even just if the Navy or the DOD in general took ownership of their own data. So this is kind of pulling that thread back up one layer because quite frankly, we, we talk with a lot of people, we never get to the contracting phase because they're like, oh, we have this data. Yeah. It's in this computer over here. That's owned by X. Sorry, you can't have it. We can't even have it. So I think that alone would just be a huge amount of impact, even if it's just like they have rights to it and whatever that entails, but having access to it in the first place and not having all these proprietary data formats on proprietary systems, it's, it's just insane. I worked with a, an AI company and they, it sounded like a match made in heaven first. The Navy was like, hey, we have this new boat. We just outfitted it with like 30,000 sensors. We put a sensor on everything we could possibly imagine. And then we're asking the question, what can we do with that data? Which is a little bit backwards, but ignoring that point, they were like, hey, we have 14 terabytes of all of this data from like the past two years. I have a brand new upstart AI company who really wants to train an AI. I have data. I have AI experts. This should be a piece of cake. And the problem was that the data they had was in a proprietary format from a major vendor that they were even arguing whether or not the government had rights to see the data, much less know you can't have the magic decoder ring for it. And that's where we kind of stepped in because we had a digital twin and we had a lot of that decoder ring already built. And we were able to step in and say, hey, you have 14 terabytes of data. Here's what it actually looks like in an open format that you guys can actually use. And then it was a match made in heaven and they like they're off to the races. But just just the impact that would happen if the Navy actually owned their own data would be huge. And it seems like such a basic thing. Like if I have people stationed on a ship and they're staking their life for defense of the country, you think they would have full access to the IT systems that are sitting in front of them. 
and yet they don't like i can't imagine what it's like to be in their shoes because that would just frustrate me to no end like if i had a computer system in my house i couldn't access that would be one thing much less i'm out here risking my life for you guys and i can't access this are you kidding me yeah it's uh i mean there's certainly to your ass points right there's a ton of both technical debt and also sort of procurement debt that i think we're trying to figure out collectively how do we we either unshackle or you know maybe create some type of leap ahead capability that allows us to not be beholden to to said debt but sort of as we as we sort of wrap here one i want to thank you guys this is an awesome conversation i think the relationship between the government and its data is is often sort of i think remarked or you know, alluded to is something complicated. I think this drives that home and some of the broader complexities on how we need to think about what we're engaging with from a provider standpoint, how we're thinking about procurement, how third parties are able to interact with it, how we or the royal we sort of as the government intend to use some of that capability in the future. And a good reminder of just the power of, of sort of abstraction, right? And being able to spin up these different third-party models and these 3D models and allow that sort of integrate or um, interrogation and experimentation in many cases without having access to some of that core data. It's awesome. So guys, thanks for spending a little bit of time here and uh, really pumped to just watch you guys continue to thrive and congrats on the new module. Yeah, thanks Tyler. Thanks for having us on. Like I said, we were stoked to uh, be here and this was awesome. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, this was super fun. Appreciate it guys. Thanks for listening. Wouldn't be a podcast without some show notes. So check them out to learn more about Second Front and what we're up to. Stay weird. Stay weird.